Uh, If you have your Bibles, go with me to Psalm 13. We're going to look at verses 1 to 6. Psalm 13, verses 1 to 6. Everybody say Psalm. Turn to your neighbor and say Psalm. Turn to your other neighbor. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do it. Psalm 13, 1 through 6 says this. How long, Lord? It's a pretty good question. Right there, out the gate. How long, Lord? (laughs) How long? Have you ever asked that question before? How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me? Verse 3, consider me and answer, Lord my God, restore brightness to my eyes, otherwise I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have triumphed over him and my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. Today, as we continue on in our series, Be Still, I want to speak to you from the subject, how long to ask how long? How long to ask how long? As we deal with the common questions that surround the pain that we experience in our minds. Would you pray with me just one more time this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and it's active and it's powerful. Your word is a two-edged sword and it pierces to the very core of who we are. And so I pray this morning that as we hear your word, that it would teach us. As we hear your word, that it would change us. As we hear your word, it would inspire us. But more importantly, as we hear your word this morning, may it lead us closer to you. So we love you. Our hearts are soft. Our ears are listening. Speak to us now. In Jesus' mighty name, come on. And everybody shouted, amen. Amen. Um, I often talk about my kids, well, because they they help uh, keep my life fun. Um, we have three kids, uh, an eight-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a one-year-old. Um, one-year-old's next level right now, uh, next level. And uh, she has this noise that I equate between a velociraptor and a duck. And so it's, uh, and that is a double-edged sword that pierces to the soul when she uses it. So, um, but my daughter's, my, da- my, my, my son, Justice, he's uh, a little bit more docile. He's so caring and so loving. Um, that's his nature. He's a lot like his father. And so, um, <laughs> so um, but my, my two daughters are stubborn and violent, and they're a lot like their mother. And so, um, <laughs> this is the family that we live in. And uh, we, pray, we prayed uh, when my third one came along that she would be uh, a little bit more docile. She would level out the family. But apparently God was like, nope, just A-types all throughout the house. And so... But my, Shiloh, my, my, uh, my seven-year-old daughter, uh, broke her arm once. And uh, it was this really interesting moment. We were at the skate park, and Justice is a lot more timid. Justice is the, is the type of guy who will pay attention to what's happening around him, analyze the situation, and then decide whether that is a smart maneuver or not. Anybody else like that in the room? Right? And so this was, this was his day. He was kind of standing back, and, and then uh, Shiloh's like, well, we should, we should go to the top of the ramp. And, and, and this was Justice's statement. Uh, you go first. <laughs> Fair enough. Right? That, that's justice, and I think it's smarts. And so Shiloh, on the other hand, is not that way. Shiloh's like, okay, I'll go first. And so she had one of those Razor scooters, 
and she goes up, and uh, Mom and I are sitting over to the, to the side on this bench, and we're watching them, and I'm the type of father that's going to let them fall and, and, and let them go through things in life. And so she gets to the top of the ramp, and my mind starts working overtime a little bit in that moment because I knew this is probably not the best of situations. And uh, I thought to myself in that moment, I should rescue her. And then I thought, nah, I'm comfortable. So... <laughs> We'll let this play out. Um, <laughs> so, um, so she's at the top of this ramp and uh, on her razor scooter, and it's now like the metal piece, the metal bottom of the scooter is starting to kind of hinge right here, and uh, and then she goes for it, like she goes down and drops down this thing, and as she's going down, the wheel spun. And it like she landed on the front of the wheel, spun in the middle of the ramp, and it catapulted her off. Now she's mid-air flying. And I'm watching this play out, and I'm like, I'm like not quite getting up yet because I'm still in comfort mode. And so I'm kind of watching it, and, and I'm now leaning on the front of my seat, and she hits the ground. When she hits the ground, one arm was behind her, and then she caught herself on the other arm. And the minute she hit, I literally turned to Eric and I was like, yep, that's broken. And for sure, she got up, and when she got up, it was like bent over a little bit. And of course, she was like wailing. I mean, she went off. And, and she's hurt in that moment, and uh, she's obviously in, in great degrees of pain. And so then we kind of go into panic mode. And so I swooped over as fast as I could, and I picked her up, and I brought her over to the bench. And this like cute little kid came over, and he's like, you want some Gatorade? And she's like, no, no Gatorade. <laughs> Wait, what color is it? Is it blue? Okay, sure. Yeah, I'll take it. So... So it was this whole moment, and so we, we had to go to the, uh, the, the Instacare to get it checked out, and they were like, for sure enough, it's broken, you need to, you need to head to primaries. And so we, uh, we headed up to primaries, and we're hanging out there. And by the way, primaries hospital, I mean, kudos to them. These guys are insane, like up there, right? For those of you who are, who are in care and nurses and doctors here, we love you so much. And so, but we get up there, and uh, the minute we walk in, her arm's broken, and no joke, five people rush into the room. And you have the doctor, and you have the nurse, and a bunch of other nurses. And, and I kid you not, one nurse, I was like, what is your job? Because I didn't know what they were doing. And they, they said, my job is just to make sure that she has fun right now. And I was like, you're the fun nurse? She's like, yeah, I got stickers and color books. What else do you need? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> Anything? Um, so, <laughs> so... So they, they got her all bandaged up. But as we're sitting there, and the doctor's left, and they're trying to figure out, so Shiloh and I are in the room together... And I remember one of the first questions that she asked when we were sitting up there uh, in the hospital room. She said this, how long is it going to hurt, Dad? A question that as a father broke my heart more than anything because I knew pain was going to be a very real part of her life for the next little while. She'd asked another question shortly after the pain would subside as they put the cast on and everything like that. And then she said this, how long do I have to wear this cast? Another part of the journey for her. It was during that hospital visit that I realized that our lives are very much the same. We ebb and flow through moments of pain, especially when it comes to the pain brought on and in and through the mind. And those of us today struggling with incapacitating fear and overwhelming anxiety, destructive thoughts, and some of us sitting in here today with no idea that there's a greater future for us, we're asking the same question that Shiloh asked, which is the same question that King David would ask right here in Psalm 13. How long is this going to last? Have you ever found yourself in a moment, in a place, in a, in a situation where how long is how long? How long am I going to have to go through? How long am I going to have to 
deal with this. And Psalm 13, 1 through 6 is one of the most insightful pieces of scripture detailing the thoughts of King David at one of the darkest times of his life. In this psalm, David asks four questions. Questions that I think we all ask when our minds are in dark places. Again, some more severe than others, but nonetheless, questions that I believe are important for all of us to work through. Now remember, if you haven't been here over the course of our, our series, which we started a couple weeks ago, we're all on this kind of spectrum when it comes to what's happening in our mind. And some of us in, in pretty dark places right now, some of us in pretty severe places right now, and some of us not ever going to deal with the severity that others deal with. But here's the thing, no matter where we are at up here, no matter how dark the place that we're in or, or not, we're going to ask these questions at one moment or another as we work through things that happen in here. So last week, if you weren't with us, we, we looked at an external situation. You guys remember last week? We looked at what happens when people have different perspectives oriented towards our pain. This week, we're going to go internal. This week, we're going to look at what some of the questions are that David wrestled with that I believe we wrestle with, and many of us more frequently than others. Now remember, this whole series has been about trying to create a place and a space where we can talk about certain issues that are affecting our society, certain issues that are affecting our city, many issues that are affecting those of us sitting in this room today. Because the church should be a safe place to deal with these things. Can I get an amen this morning? All right? It has to be a place that where those of us who are struggling severely up here can be able to rest and know, okay, my church has got me. I've got a place where I'm not judged. I've got a place where I'm not shamed. I've got a place where I can work through these things. And I want to say this unequivocally, that it is okay to be in a dark place. Right? There's not one moment in Scripture where we are called to live in such a way where we are happy clappy all the time. Right? And you've met that person before. They're annoying. You want to throat chop them. Right? <laughs> How's everything doing? So good. And you're like, really that good? Yes, so good. You're like, how many Red Bulls are you on? Four. <laughs> and we've somehow drafted this type of theology, this, this victory theology, this victory mindset, where so many times that mindset has, an, has a tendency to overlook reality. And here's the deal, is that Jesus deals in reality. Jesus deals with our humanity. He never said that he was going to come and strip away our humanity. He said he was going to redeem it. And so it's in this moment right here that we see King David's psalm, right here, 13. We see him articulate some things that I think bear conversation. And that's what we're going to look at today. So I need your help. Everybody shout number one. The first thing that we see in Psalm 13, verse 1, he asks this question. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? We ask this question as we begin to doubt God's timing. It's the timing question. Will you forget me? Here's that word. Forever. Forever. The timing question. How long must I go through this? You ever been there before? How long must I feel this way? How long must I hurt like this? Time in the face of pain and suffering is one of the most frustrating and polarizing issues that we face. And here's why. Because the unknown aspects of time cause us to lose hope. You ever realized that before? The unknown aspects of time, because we can only hold hope for so long it seems like. Our attention spans are quite small, aren't they? 
Because many of us, we can literally, like, right here, we, we can be in a service like this, and you're like, right now, you're like amped, right? You're pumped, and you come to church, and it's great. The worship was amazing, and we're laughing and crying and being with one another. And how many of you know that it's fully possible that you walk out those doors, you will step off the sidewalk, you will get into your car, and all of a sudden, hopelessness will come back in. And that's frustrating, isn't it? You're like, wait a second, I was just like, I was just, in a, like, I just got like an IV of hope. How? Like, how does it go away? Well, because the world that we live in is, is broken. It's marred. It's disenfranchised. And, and what the enemy wants is he wants, to, he wants to inject hopelessness back in. So the question that David wrestled with is the question that all of us wrestle with, which is one of the most valid questions that are, how long will I have to go through this? And we begin to doubt God's timing, don't we? Timing is an interesting thing. You see, with many of the problems that we face in life, there are many things that we will never reconcile the way that, that we want them to. Jesus did not promise to take everything away. He promised that he would be with us, walk with us, minister to us in our darkest moments of life. He will help us be still. See, a natural part of pain, especially pain caused by the instability of our minds, is the questioning of time. And we believe that we can only hope for so long, and that is because our healing has a tendency to be the thing that we want more than Jesus. See, hope in Jesus is an anchor. Hope in a desired and preferred reality is a drifting ship. I know I'm messing with some of our, our, our theology today. Because we think that it's good to hope, like we can hope, as we read these prayer requests, we hope and we pray for healing. Can Jesus sovereignly heal? Yes. 100%. But what I've come to realize is that more often than not, his greater task, his greater mission, his greater force in our life is to walk with us in the midst of the thing that we are dealing with. Why? Because there's a connectedness and a reliance that he wants us to have upon him, not just our thing. Because many of us, and I've done this so many times before, I get what I want from Jesus, then I ignore Jesus. So then we ask this question, well, is Jesus purposely keeping me in pain so that I rely on him? It's a big question. Am I, am I purposely in this place of hell because Jesus wants me to stay attuned to him? It's a big question. And I would say, no, he's not purposely doing it. We live in a world where our bodies are subject to a certain systematic reality that was broken at the beginning. And while he has the power to sovereignly heal, what's more important is our ability to walk with him in and amongst our darkest moments so that we became a beacon of life and hope for somebody else who may deal with it. Does that make sense? Again, we're walking through things a little bit more. This is a little bit more of a, of a teachy message because I want, us to, I want us to understand this. That's not to say that God doesn't heal. It simply means that we have to ask the question, is my hope in God or is my hope in his activity? They're two very different hopes. See, as a father, I want my kids to want to hug me and be with me because they love their father, not because they think their father is going to give them something. It's the most satisfying thing for me. When my daughter, my son, 
when they, when they come up to me and they're like, Dad, will you, just, will you give me a hug? Like my daughter, I got home from traveling this week. And when I got home, she was walking by me. And all she wanted to do, we were walking into a restaurant. And all she wanted to do, she just wanted a hug and a kiss from me. That was it. Nothing else. As we're walking in, and she, she came up beside me, and I put my arm around her, and, and we walked into the restaurant together. Why? It wasn't that she wanted anything. It wasn't that she was needing anything, except she needed the embrace of her dad, not what her dad had. Because she knew her dad was going to take care of the bill. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Daniel chapter 3, verses 15 to 18 shows us this in great measure. And it says this in verse 15. Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, this is King Nebuchadnezzar talking to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay? You've seen it on Veggie Tales. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God? Watch this. Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Could you imagine talking to a king like that? We've got no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. But watch, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So no matter what happens in this situation, no matter what I'm feeling in this situation, I will stand at the gate and I will worship my God in healing, in non-healing. Why? Because he's good and he's faithful no matter the outcome. Some of us need to get our butts in the right place. B-U-T, B-U-T. <laughs> See, these young men had placed their hope in God, not his activity. And this type of faith actually helps us through the process of our pain as we no longer view time in our relationship to our pain. Learning to come to a place that our relationship with God is not dependent upon our preferred outcome, feeling, healing, etc. And I know for some of us who are really struggling in our minds, this is such a hard reality to reconcile. This is simply what I'm saying. Jesus is wanting to sit with you in it. This is how we get to know his nature and his character. And I think sometimes we can put an undue amount of stress and shame on us because we're not experiencing the healing that we believe Jesus wants to do in us. And he's simply saying, I just want to sit and hold your hand. That's his character. That's his nature. Could I heal Shiloh's arm? No. I could get her to a hospital. I could help take care of certain things. But ultimately, what did she want dad to do? She wanted dad to sit with her. Tell her it's going to be all right. You're going to be in pain. You're going to hurt. How long, dad? I don't know, baby. But it's going to be all right. I'll make sure I take care of you. And so the first thing that we have to realize that David first question is, is when we start to doubt God's timing, I want you to know, I want us to understand that his timing is always perfect. We just may not understand it. Number two, come on every shot, number two. Psalm 13, verse one again, then he asks this question, how long will you hide your face from me? We ask this question as we begin to believe that God has abandoned us. 
Come on, anybody in the house today ever thought to themselves, has God abandoned me? See, no one wants to raise our hands on that question because we feel somewhere inside. Religion has tricked us into believing that if we, if we, if we speak those words, we have less faith in God. Jesus himself on the cross shouted, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Because here's the process of our pain is that many times we will arrive at a position, we will arrive at a place where we think that God has abandoned us. You ever been there before? <laughs> First Kings 19, three through five. When Elijah became afraid, then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. So this is right after Elijah had a, had a showdown with the prophets of Baal. All these prophets, hundreds of prophets, and it's just Elijah. And he's standing with them, and he, and, he sa- and he calls down fire from heaven, and all this stuff gets burnt up. It was like a WWF match, and there's fire and pyrotechnics and all kinds of crazy stuff and paint and people yelling and John 3.16 signs. And so, <laughs> why are they always at wrestling matches? So they're in monster truck shows, but... So they're doing this thing, and Elijah, he's on the heels of this big win. Have you ever had, have you ever been in a moment in life where you're on the heels where you're feeling really good? Like you just came out of a great season, you're feeling awesome about your life, your strut's just a little bit higher, you're walking with a little bit more swagger, and you're just like, man, life is good right now. How many of you know that that's a setup for a bad moment? <laughs> right? I'm not fatalistic, I'm just real. <laughs> and I always think, like, is it coming around the corner? When, have you ever asked this question? When's the bottom going to drop out? And so Elijah is in this moment, watch what happens, then Elijah became afraid. I want you to see what's, the, what's happening in these characters of the Bible that we treat with so much honor and respect, which is good, but they're all like you and I. Then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. Why? Because somebody threatened his life. Jezebel threatened his life. She said, I'm going to get you, boy. God said, that girl's poison. (laughs) Poison, poison. Watch what, watch what happens. He ran from his life when he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, and he left his servant there. This is how afraid he was. He ditched his servant. The guy that rolled with him, his homie. And then he's like, you stay here, I'm out. But he went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. Have you ever just glanced over these moments? And, oh, that's just the Bible speaking. No, 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 the dude wanted to die. You've got to feel the weight of that. And there's people in this room, there will be people in, in all of these services across the, the, this weekend who have thought that thought. See, the darkest parts of our pain will often lead us to ask the question, this question, as we begin to believe that God has abandoned us. And we feel like he's no longer in our corner, no longer looking out for us, no longer answering the questions that, that we're tossing his way. I want you to hear this today. Pain has an uncanny way of causing us to doubt God's presence. Just because we're in pain, it does not mean that we have been abandoned. See, here's the rub, though. The presence of God in our lives is not always producing what we want it to produce. 
when it comes to our mind, there are very real issues that require the involvement of medical intervention, different types of treatment and help. However, that does not negate the need for the presence of God in our lives. You see, medicine can bring help and the Spirit of God brings hope. Because I know some of us are wrestling with that today. Where is science in this? Where is health in this? Where is all this? And, and, and what I want us to understand is that medicine was never meant to bring hope. And we, we then cause a battle, right? A culture war between these realities, especially in the church. We are not to abandon the presence of God, however. These are very real issues that we've got to work through. Why? Because hope is intrinsically connected to and authored by Jesus. Watch what Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 says. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. Come on, we shout stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions. Because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. And proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint. This hope will not disappoint. This hope will not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. It's a hope that doesn't disappoint. But have you ever been disappointed? The hope that we have in Jesus, not a structure of religion, not rules and regulations, not this, not that. The hope that we have in Jesus does not disappoint. Why? Because his character is stable. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so therefore, our soul anchors in him. Our hope anchors in him. We rejoice in him. Why? Because he's awesome. He's glorious. He's wonderful. He's amazing. He's above all, in all, through all he's working on our behalf he is a good good father but still all the same we ask the question don't we god have you abandoned me have you abandoned me what i'm hoping to accomplish in this message is take some of the shame that many of us feel when we walk through these questions i've watched so many people who've got connected to Jesus and become Christ's followers only to step back and no longer want to follow him because they feel the shame of these questions and they're saying, surely no one else is asking the same question I am. Surely no one else in this room is doubting God like I am. Surely no one else is struggling with the things that I'm struggling with. And so we put on our Sunday smiles, right? And our skinny jeans and denim t-shirts. And we come into church and we look great and we look awesome. Surely not one of these amazingly beautiful people is struggling with what I'm struggling with. And so we stay distanced from each other. But here's the reality. Many of us in this room are struggling with this question right now. God, have you abandoned me in this situation? Have you abandoned my kiddos who are struggling with addiction? Have you abandoned us in this marriage that seems like it's going nowhere? Have you abandoned me to this depression that is, is literally eating away at my soul? See, last week we talked about the external side of it. We all love that. We can come to a place and understand, oh man, yeah, we don't want to be those type of people. But now here's the hard part. This is when we get quiet. is when we turn it inward. 
Because I'll tell you what, I deal with these questions. There's been many moments where I've sat at my desk and said, God, have you abandoned us? I've been asking for this, asking for this, wanting this, desiring to have you, have you abandoned us? Number three, come on over, shout number three. Psalm 13, two. How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? We ask this question as the pain of our suffering becomes intolerable. This is the pain threshold issue. David shows that he's in a place where his pain has become intolerable. Every day he's experiencing the weight and the agony and the frustration of his pain in the form of anxious concern. His mind was full and suffering. And this is such a hard message because in in many ways there's no resolve to this point. We watch David ride the line between what he knows and feels about his pain and eventually what he knows and feels about God. And what we know in this moment when he would go on at the, at the end of Psalm where he says, I'm going to trust in you, so on and so forth. That was his decision without any repercussion from his hurt. You guys see what I'm talking about? He switched over in the middle of his pain, in the middle of his acknowledgement of his pain. He said, this is a fine line, it's a razor's edge that I have to hang on where I'm aware of what I'm experiencing and it's dark and it's hurting me and I don't want to do this anymore, but I also know that you are in the middle of it, God, that you are with me and that I'm going to keep on focusing on you. Paul the Apostle would say it like this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we, we, we quote that scripture, we quote that moment of Paul's life, and we think that it's like this beautiful gospel-oriented statement. The dude was in prison. He was in the worst circumstance possible. He wasn't giving us this, like, this pithy antidote. What was he saying? Well, if I live, I'm going to do it for Jesus, because to die would be gain. That's the weight of it all. At times we'll reach thresholds of pain that seem intolerable. And at best, what I can offer you as a pastor is that it's a lesson in duality. It's a lesson about being in a place where it's not completely reconciled, but we still hold hope in Jesus. How many of you have seen the movie Braveheart? Mostly ladies, that's awesome. (laughs) There was a lot of blue eyeshadow in here today, so. How many of you guys, and and if you haven't seen Braveheart, spoiler alert, um, but how many of you remember at the end of the movie when he's tied up and he's about to be like ripped apart? And this is the duality of our lives. We're going to feel like that at times that we're being pulled from every edge of it all. We're being pulled in every direction. Here's what was amazing about this movie, and this is what made me cry like a baby at the end of this movie, is that in the midst of his darkest moment, the greatest amount of pain that he would experience, he was still able to shout freedom. razor's edge. It's learning how to be in that limbo. We're so linear thinking 
We see things from the top down. Things can't have two sides. I'm happy because I'm healed. Nothing is wrong. Instead, like Paul, like David, like William Wallace, I can find Jesus in my afflictions. Psalm 13, verse 2, point number four. Last one is this. We ask this question, how long will my enemy dominate me? We ask this question when we begin to doubt the plan and purpose of God as we feel dominated and overcome. I'm going to ask everybody to stand to their feet in this moment.